This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. <laughs> that's like 40. That's like 40. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am your host, John Allen. And before I get into my conversation with today's guest, I want to remind all of my viewers and listeners that if you look in the episode description, uh, you will then see some links that you can click on, <clears throat> excuse me, if you'd like to contribute and support my work uh, that I do with the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. And with that, hello, Luna. Uh, Luna Nikolaisen. <laughs> I had to get the Norwegian pronunciation That's very properly. very close. Very, oh. very good. But it seemed like you were a bit nervous for saying the nervous. last name. No, and I almost said Mikkelsen yeah, for some was, reason. Mikkelsen. Yeah, I almost yeah. said Mikkelsen for some reason, but it's Nikolaisen. It's probably because I have that attitude where you think I might come after you with an axe. <laughs> hey, 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 I'm, I'm married to a woman from Finnmark. <laughs> So axes, knives, those kind of things. I'm used to it. You're still alive. I'm still alive. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> no, she's a, she's a tiny, wow. she's a tiny little thing, but she's tough as nails. Um, I'm, I'm missing my wife right now. She's up at our place. We have a place up on Salem, up in Finnmark. And she's up there yeah. with the kids. Yeah, she's up there with the kids now. And uh, unfortunately, I could not travel with them. But hey, I'm using my time oh. wisely. Using my time wisely, knocking out good podcast episodes with good people. That's nice. Yeah. But yeah. they will probably come back like a landslide at some point, right? They, they're coming and back, then, I think, next Wednesday. Or was it next Thursday? Th Wednesday or Thursday next week, they'll be back. Or, yeah, Wednesday or Thursday next week. So, uh It'll be, it'll be good timing. You know, I, I always enjoy the first few days without them, you know, the solitude. Uh, mm -hmm. But when they come home, I'm ready for them to come home. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good balance, isn't it? I think it is. I enjoy my alone time, uh, but I also enjoy my family. So it's, it's a good balance. But you, now you're all by yourself. You are yeah, way, 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 way out there on the island of Rust. Yeah. And for yeah. those of you who don't know where that is, uh, look in the description of this episode. You'll see how it's spelled. They have a... A, um, uh, a letter of the alphabet that we don't have in the United States. So look at the description of the episode, everybody, and look where this island is. I want to ask you, Luna, what is it that brought you out to Rust? Well, uh, it's like uh, with any independent woman, what sort of drives you somewhere is either a broken heart or that you're looking for something. And I had a combination of both. Okay. Um, yeah, so I was here visiting um, because I used to work as a secretary for the doctors' union, the Norwegian doctors' union, where I arranged like conferences and courses and stuff that they needed to specialize within medicine. Okay. A job uh, of which I was in no way qualified to do, <laughs> but I did it. <laughs> how'd, how'd you get that job um, then? How'd you get that job? And, Basically nepotism. Ah, good old nepotism. <laughs> ah, yes. Yep. <laughs> I knew someone who knew someone that said that I was unmensch. So there I got hey, the job. Helps. And then it, helps. it does. And I had like a full day of training of doing accounting. Uh, come Christmas time, I figured there's a reason people who are accountants have more <laughs> than one day of training. My, my found office was littered with paper. Yeah. 
the hard it's, way. Uh, but I'm not in prison, so I guess I did a good job of it. But uh, I was going to say that's kind of scary. Me. That's kind of scary when you don't know the ins and outs, and maybe you don't know all the technical rules of it. That you you can get in a little bit of trouble. You put a couple too many yeah, zeros, you or could. you take a too many zeros away, you could get in a little bit of trouble. My biggest, yeah, you could. But my biggest problem was with the accountant's job there when we were like closing the year was because you have the like the sold and the bought sort of columns that is basically accountant being an accountant but then if you put (laughs) something on the wrong side of the column so i was looking for 23 kroners and that is something like i don't know 20 two dollars something yeah i'm sorry two something along those lines yeah. yeah two so uh, I was looking for that because it wouldn't be a balanced sheet. Yeah, it's got to be balanced. If I didn't find where I posted those. Uh, yeah, so that was the hardest part. And I figure you don't go to prison for 23 kroners or $2. No, no. And But I found them. And But <laughs> that's not the story about how I got here, though. But I was working in the job where I wasn't at all qualified. And uh, we had one of our conferences out here on Rust. And when I was here, I just had this overwhelming feeling of wanting to live here. Okay. And I didn't necessarily meet a lot of people when I was here. And I was surrounded by very self-centered doctors. So that didn't necessarily give the ambiance of, wow, this is a nice place. But I still remember the place where I was out walking by myself at night in the midnight sun thinking, I want to live here. And then, but what was it? But what was it that got you? What was it? Was it the nature? Because it is beautiful there. Or was it the 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 romantic the 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 romantic isolation of it? What was it that kind of got your kind of pulled at your heart? I think it was maybe a little bit of both, and that it was something. It was a break. It was uh, like a total shift where you shift uh, where the train is heading, where it was just like a break with everything that I knew that was in the city trying to be... Oslo? I don't know. No, I was living in Trondheim. Trondheim, okay. Uh, And I don't know if if you had it in the States. It probably came from the States. But when I was growing up, there was this American television show about a guy that could be dropped into any sort of situation and he would just take that job. He was like a doctor, he was an astronaut, he was a physicist, he was all bunch of stuff. And it was sort of like a spy show and it was called The Pretender. I and do believe that's an American show, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't my favorite show, but when people have asked me previously, like what have you worked with and what have you done up till now, um, I usually talk about that show because I say that what I've done has been more like a low budget sort of <laughs> version of that show, where it's just throw me into the yeah. deep end and I'll do that. And I tried to do academia. I did my bachelor's degree, but it didn't sort of sit. And then moving here would be a break from all of that. And I would have to in many ways, reinvent myself and try to figure out what was important to me. That is very interesting that you say that. I um, I was talking to a journalist earlier today, and she was asking me about um, what it was like when I first came to Norway. And that whole thing yeah. with having the opportunity to reinvent oneself 
I spoke a little bit about that. So it's interesting yeah. that you say that. There is something with kind of just on the spur of the moment and not really having uh, a lot of possessions. There's something about being in that situation and replanting yourself in a totally different place that yeah. I say not only is it a good opportunity to reinvent oneself, I say that if you don't reinvent yourself, the newness or the otherness <clears throat> of that new place can crush you. It kind of, yeah, that, absolutely that, can. is that kind of what you experienced uh, to a certain degree? Well, because uh, like any sort of scientist that is experimenting with what's, what they're making, like uh, my Igor or whatever I became uh, <laughs> was the mother of my invention. And sometimes I can tell you with this much idea and this much drive, you sometimes make really bad decisions. It wasn't I wasn't supposed to be the leader of uh, women's sort of co-op where they did things knitted and drank coffee and but for some reason as i was reinventing myself these are some of the things that i tried it was a really terrible idea but um you just have to remember that everything that is around you of course it has some sort of uh, like the wind or the waves at sea it can push you it can pull you it can yeah. hold you under but um, don't get too caught up in details and it's, yes. I've found that it's, it's better when you just allow yourself to make mistakes and try not to be so hard on yourself. I agree. I think yeah. it comes down to not resisting that pushing and pulling and reshaping. Uh, don't resist that. Yeah. I believe that those things happen for a reason. You're, you're, you're presented. I think you're presented with a, with a set of of obstacles, a set of um, challenges. And then the question is, is mm -hmm. do you rise to that challenge? Do you resist the challenge or do you run from it? You know? Yeah. So And it, also, uh, I'm sorry, John, no, go ahead, but please. The, go amount ahead. Of the amount of energy that you use trying to resist something rather just than just accepting it. Um, yeah. And, and I'm not like talking on the level because there are some things that you actually have to do something about. You can't just like go in your Buddha pants through life and then your boat <laughs> sinks. When, sure. your bo when your boat is sinking, you need to actually do something. But sure. I'm thinking more on like a metaphysical sort of personal sure. level. Sure. Uh, the resistance that you find within yourself, uh, in addition to the resistance you find in the world, uh, if you try to fight these things, everything becomes much harder because you use so much energy trying to yeah. overcome. I have, I try to or have... Or at least that's what I found. Well, yeah, and I, I agree with you. I try to have yeah. that, that, that Buddha-like or that Zen approach to the whole thing with the ebb and flow of the world. Uh, you know, there's enough resistance uh, uh, out there. I, I try not to contribute more resistance. And again, that doesn't mean that I remain inactive. Quite the opposite. When I see the challenge, I'll lean into it. I'll see where that mm -hmm. challenge will take me. And, and of course, once one takes up a challenge, then, of course, you always have free will about how you react to that challenge. But I try yeah. to be fluid in that whole thing. Uh, it's, it's a good metaphor yeah, that you use it, about it, the waves, you know, in the sea, the, pull, the push and pull of the tide. Yeah. But... Um it must be 
uh, I moved to another culture than I was used to. Yeah, because Rust uh, is quite I, different I, from, from Trondheim. Oh, Trondheim, yeah. Trondheim is a big uh, major city, uh, and, and, and Rust is not. <laughs> it's no, a big no. difference. We're yeah. like four, 480 people, and it takes about, for the people who don't bother to go ahead and look it up, uh, it takes about three and a half hours by ferry. That goes really fast from the mainland. Yeah. So it's really, we're really isolated yeah. and remote. Yeah. And um, uh, you get used to going into a different culture and a small place, but you traveled from uh, something that us Norwegians have a lot of ideas about. And I would say that Norwegians probably have more ideas about what the U.S. is than they do what Trondheim is. Yes. So you must have met a lot of different attitudes when you moved here. When was that? Uh, I came here in 2002, the 5th of June, 2002. Um, Almost 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is uh, this is where I am. <laughs> no, but it, it uh, in, in many ways, it wasn't all that different. You know, I grew up in, in quite a rural area in Ohio back home. So uh -huh. in many ways, coming farm boy, yeah, I, I, not on a farm, but in a farm, a farm uh, 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 area. You know, it was it was quite a. Rural, mm -hmm. In fact, it was called a village. It wasn't even a city. It was the village of Norton back then. Oh. That's how small it was. So in many ways, coming to Norway was kind of like coming home because before I lived, before we moved here, we lived in the Chicago suburbs, and that was not my huh? type of thing to be in a big city like that. So in many ways, coming to Norway wasn't really that big of a change. It was more of a change coming from my hometown to Chicago than it was coming here to Norway in, in, in that sense. Oh. Um, so the main mm -hmm. thing was just learning the language and then the small nuances of the differences in the culture. Um, but I learned the language real quick. I was speaking with people after a couple months. Um, wow. Yeah, I learned it quick. Yeah. And, uh, That's yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm good with languages. I've learned quite a few up through the years but um but the the whole thing with it being different here uh i never have thought that there are big differences it's just small things small things yeah yeah mm -hmm. what i found to be different here was that um seeing as this is a place that people have more moved away from than moved to um i was sort of expecting them to have like jazz hands and everyone wanted to get to know me. <laughs> yeah. um, and to some point that was true that they wanted to get to know me and they were curious, who are you? What are you going to do? Why did you come here? And all those things. But a question that I was asked that I wondered a lot about, like the first couple of years, everyone was asking, not like, where did you come from? But they asked me, when are you leaving? Oh, wow. So it was, yeah, so it was more like, are we willing to invest in getting to know you because you're just going to leave anyway? But see, that is a very um, Norwegian thing. You want to talk about culture differences, that is yeah. a big difference right there. The reluctance to let people into your, yeah, into your world. You know? Sphere. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So even if it's just for like a short time, because yeah. am I willing to make the effort and ask you about where did you actually come from? Yeah. What are your interests if you're just going to leave? But, but see, I, guess I didn't. They have abandonment issues. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, I wonder if the, I wonder if it has to do with uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. People joke about the cold Norwegian heart, um, and and I joke about it too. But there is something to it about how Norwegians just don't want to let people into their sphere, their 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 friend, their their circle of friends. However, there are exceptions to that because on our island, yeah. up on up on Siland, uh, now there's only 22. Yeah. There's only 22 permanent residents on our side of the island, so it's even it's an even smaller society than what mm-hmm. you have there on Rust. Um, mm-hmm. But they welcome me with open arms. You know, that's where my wife's family is. Her father is from up there, so they've known her since she was a baby. But when they when they met me, they welcomed me with open arms, and I just felt like, yeah, this is this is going to be okay. So. There's exceptions yeah, but to I, it. I was, I, yeah, but I was welcomed. It was, that wasn't it. Uh, and I had far too much to do and far too many people to see, really. But it was a question. And a friend of mine also moved here more or less at the same time as me. And oh, that we helped, talked I'm about sure. it because she, yeah, but, but, but I got to know her once I've moved here. But we were different. We were women that moved here on our own, not okay, knowing so, each other. Okay, so you didn't and, know her before. You got yeah. to know her after. No. Okay. All right, understand. Yeah, right. and she moved here to become a, or she is a farmer, but she moved her sheep farm here. And I was sort of like aimless when I came here. I worked in the equivalent of Faulty Towers, the local hotel, and uh, was sort of like licking my wounds from exiting a, relationship and then i just had this crazy idea when i was out for a walk one night like hey why don't i become a fisherman so we were quite independent and quite like traveling solo when we came here and that uh came with a lot of interest in what we were going to do but she also had that yeah you're here that's nice but when are you leaving and we found that after being here for about two and a half years, people have stopped asking, when are you leaving? Okay, yeah. Interesting yeah. that you chose fishing, though. How did you, how did you land on that? Because it seemed like a life, because I got to know fishermen, because Rust is a place that is furthest out in the Lufoten archipelago. Uh, and we're sort of like on a shelf and around it, it just goes steeply down. Yeah. And so you have a really short uh, travel out to catch the fish. So this has been a fishing society for thousands of years. And that's what people do here. So and it kind of came with the territory. Then, you were there and yeah, that's, and, yeah. And I hadn't really met any fishermen before coming here. I just met like the... Um, more like the um, caricature of a fisherman that every Norwegian knows about. I I knew about that, and I'm also from up north from before, but that wasn't part of my heritage. Before I took the security class, I'd never been aboard a fishing boat, and that's like... Eight years ago. Now, 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 when uh, you say when you say you're from up north, further north than Trondheim. Uh, yeah, uh, where, where, further north. Where from are here. you? Where are you from? Uh, I'm from somewhere called Sutland. Sutland, okay. And I know where that is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's tra- it's translated to black country. Yeah. Um, Maybe yeah. that's why I know where it is. But it's know. not. <laughs> 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 they have this joke because there's uh, there's this uh, coastal boat that goes up and down and has a lot of tourists and it used to be like a freight boat also 
and it's called Hurtigruten. So there's this the um, sort of Norwegian when we're playing with English where we say like um, the black no the fast window went on land in black country. <laughs> yeah, so, that is a good play yeah. on words. That is a direct translation of the Norwegian. And it's not even funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is yeah, a, that's a beautiful that's, when, that's a beautiful part of Norway. Um, for it me. Is. For me, all things northern Norway are better. Um, yeah. Uh, but you live in the south. Yeah, I do. Um, you see, I, I lost that fight. <laughs> my wife wanted to, it, it's, a long, it's a long story, but my wife wanted to get back to a um, more of an academic environment. Uh, she's a psychiatric nurse. And yep. there, were, there were just better opportunities down here than there were up north, so... We moved back down. Ironic, there. seeing as we don't have a lot of psychiatric nurses and a lot of crazy people. So you should think she should be able <laughs> to make a living here. Well, uh, she she could, but again, it was the um, it was the academic level was a little bit yeah less um, intense up north than it is. And down you south. also have a lot of you don't have as much colleagues that you could talk exactly. to and discuss exactly. things so she, with she, you as well. Yeah, so she kind of missed, was missing that. And uh, that's a big reason why we moved down south. And, um, you know, it's okay. I, I'm, I don't like cities. And here we are living in the middle of a city. Um, I prefer the north, but here we are living in the south. But I, I, I make the most of it. I mean, it's, it's not a bad yeah. place. It's not a bad place to be here. It's just better up north. But we have our home up there, and we'll always have it. You know, they're up there having their summer vacation up there now, my wife and kids. Uh, and we'll always mm -hmm. have that. That's where I want to retire one day. Yeah. yeah. At some point, you will sort of both have to and can, so... Yeah, absolutely. It's a like a light at the end of uh, yeah. otherwise interesting tunnel. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, yeah. in, speaking of interesting tunnels, okay. So you 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 want to become a fisher, uh, fisherwoman, <laughs> fisherwoman. You want to be a fisherman. Uh, you know what? I, I I will not forget to get my period because you called me a fisherman. So it's quite all right. <laughs> Great answer, and, fisherman. <laughs> yeah. So so you wanted to do that. You get started with that. You take your safety classes and whatnot. How do you go about getting a boat? Because that is not easy. That's very hard uh, to do here in Norway. You have to be really persistent. And also you have to nag a lot. Like, I want to come. I want to try. I want to do it. I, I want to become a fisherman. And then mm -hmm. they sure laughed at me a lot. I'm pretty sure. Some of them laughed in my face. Sure. Uh, but not in a bad way i guess it's just like the northern norwegian oh yeah. you want to do that you're going to the moon eh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. more like that and then um and then some of them let me ride along so that i could get a start get a feel for it try it well talk, talk about that a little bit what was that like the first time you went out was it more was, was it worse or better than what you thought was it harder than you thought it would be uh, well, the first time that I actually went fishing, because I was allowed to come along when we went fishing, but I didn't really get like a function, anything to okay, do. Okay, so you were just along for the ride, kind of. And I wore my boots and everything, but I and I was standing there ready. Um, and I sort of like weaseled my way in so I could do a little bit so that they could see that I was interested, that I could learn. But when I was 
with a boat having a function. They had a full crew, so I was sort of like overflow with that. But how, how many people anyway, make up a full crew? Uh, on that boat, there were three people. And how big was the boat? Uh, that boat was maybe 15 meters. Yeah. And then you uh, go... It's about 45 feet, make, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. Right around. Yeah. So... But they were kind of a big crew. If we okay. had that sort of quota size today, it would probably just be two people working there. Okay, yeah. Um, because it's being more and more... Mechanized? Downsized with people and mechanized. Not necessarily mechanized, but okay. you want to have a bigger overhead. You want to earn more money, and then you don't have as many people working on the boats, and you get more quotas and less people working there. How, how is the market now for fishermen in Norway? Um, I guess the question with is... With fishing is, is or it, quotas? Uh, with quotas. Um, I'm probably not the... Well, I'm, I'm a person to ask, but we have a lot of different perspectives on that. Okay. Um, the, pe the people who have quotas feel that it's quite all right that they keep increasing with like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of percent in value. Because that is sort of like their safety retirement fund. Let's 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 uh, back but, let's back up a little bit. Can you explain the Norwegian yeah. quota system? Because my American listeners or my and my listeners outside of Norway probably have no idea what we're talking about when we talk about quota. Can you explain the quota oh, system? Oh yeah, but uh, the thing is, most Norwegians also don't understand about the quotas. Uh, two years ago, I had a woman calling me from uh, one of our major news networks. She called me out of the blue because she'd heard my name and asked if I could explain to her the Norwegian quota system. Okay. And the weather was bad on that day. So we were landlocked because of, well, it was stormy outside. Yeah. And then I said, of course. Um, and I think of myself as having a very rational way of explaining things. Sure. And I took that thing before that thing, and that is connected to this because of that. And then we talked for two and a half hours, and I used one word that I'd used several times and explained that word, and I used it again, and she said, so what is that? And I go like, oh, I what was the that word? What was the, what was the word? Struct Quota, structure quota, and that is sort of like a efficiency mechanism that they've used because fishing in Norway hasn't always been profitable because there were far too many quotas on far too many boats, not enough yeah. fish. So what they did was that they uh, allowed people to consolidate these quotas and pick them off one boat and put them on the next boat. Yeah. And these were supposed to be limited by time. So after a run of 25 years, once you'd consolidated a quota into your boat's uh, quota structure, yeah. it would fall back to the government and then they would have to like redivide it. But the thing is that they have, uh, seeing as we've moved from having uh, like a leftist to a rightist to a leftist uh, <laughs> government, they have been going like back and forth with should these rights be given um, 
into eternity? Or should this be something that because follows? It seems, yeah, because it seems like there's something unfair. I mean, okay, you have two fishermen, yeah. two quotas. You know, mm -hmm. fisherman A is allowed to fish this many tons of fish. Fisherman B is allowed yeah. to fish this many. So maybe fisherman B is, I don't know, old, or maybe he's sick or something. So he gives you his quota. So now you've consolidated that quota. And then after so many years, why would that then? I have to, I, I have to, I have to stop you. He okay. wouldn't give it. <laughs> he will sell it for a lot of money. And also, according to Norwegian law, you are not allowed to own a quota. Um, but see, and, that, and that's what I yours. don't understand. Yeah, and that's what I don't understand. Because if he has, yeah, I said gave, but if he has sold it to yeah. you then, yep. and you have paid for it, why would it not be something that your children can inherit? Why would it go back to the government at some point? Uh, well, the thing is, You've in, that's your investment. Behind. That's your investment. You've yeah. got that. Yeah, but yeah, but you also signed a piece of paper that said that this is only valid for twenty-five years. Um, yeah, but I don't read and, the fine print. <laughs> yeah, but that's your problem. That's my problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. But, so but the, th but the thing is <laughs> is that this is not going to happen because this started the consolidation of fishing rights started back in 2002 and we're closing in on when the window is being shut and they have to redistribute it. Uh but the thing is Norwegian politicians as most Norwegians get a real, real massive headache when it comes to fishing legislation because it's really complex. And it started with them making some sort of rule and some sort of concession towards someone and something. And yeah. then they found that, oh, we didn't really look into it. So it has bad repercussions for another group. Let's try to mend it with this piece of legislation or this directive. And then it's sort of like they're out there always pissing their pants to keep themselves warm. And then you get a really complex piece of legislation that some have tried to fix or mend with making like general sweeps. I of, see. Now yeah. we're doing this or that. And uh, it doesn't necessarily, it, it doesn't take into account society or coastal society. It doesn't take because into northern, account. Because northern, uh, northern coastal society is quite different from uh you know people in Oslo aren't going to understand how people north of Trondheim live along the coast it's a totally different way of life it is and um sadly uh seeing as we have a democracy which is good um they have <laughs> as much say in uh, what sort of political direction we're going to go and how that has its implications on the the policy of things and how things are run. And I think it was, uh, what I would say is like the pinnacle of stupidity. Last time we had um, um, an election for parliament, they kick off their electoral campaigns and it doesn't start anyway or anywhere as near early as in the US. No. They sort of like they kick the, the election is in September and they start kicking it off sort of like in May. And I June, like it that July. way. I think it's so much yeah. better here. There's none of this BS and stress and money and, and lies that are told and commercials that you have to watch. I think it's so much better the way they do it here in Norway. 
Yeah, but we have uh, we have our amount of lies as well, but sure, but just not uh, more not, uh, elaborate. Yeah, they're just nowhere more, near as yeah, bad no. as. And also, you're not allowed to have these smear campaigns right. that you have. Yeah, that's more of what from. I was. That's more of what I was getting at yeah. when it comes to the lies about how you lie about the other candidate in the states. They don't do that mm-hmm. so much here. But but back to this whole thing about quotas and and, yeah. and the rights to, to no. To but fish. I, I was just gonna yeah? if I could just uh, finish my ch- chain of thought. Sure. Uh, our now prin- prime minister, she's from uh, a right sided party like the fiscally responsible yeah. let's put more money into stocks sort yep. of privatize everything good old Arna Solberg. oh yeah and um she was kicking off her campaign up north here and then it was still on the table with drilling for oil outside of these really fish populous areas uh, and that has been a struggle for maybe 20 years now in norway where we tried to close Lofoten, Vesterolen, and Senja from drilling from oil. And she was then in the heart of Lofoten, in uh, Svalbard. And she kicked off her speech saying that uh, we shouldn't worry because she wouldn't obstruct our view. She wouldn't obstruct our view. And it's just like, yeah, so that's what we are to you. We're just a very scenic area. Yeah, she got so and hung we, up on on how, uh, you know, putting oil rigs and stuff up there. It's not going to be ugly. It's not going to ruin the scenery and stuff. And she doesn't understand that that is not the main focus. That is not the main concern of the people who live there. So talk about being no. detached. And that's that goes back to what I said about how people down south exactly. have very little knowledge. Even the politicians have very little knowledge about what the people up north are truly concerned about. It's a little ridiculous. And also actually. what and also what we're contributing. Just um we have a sales organization uh that it's not a union, but it's um I don't know, maybe something that you could go to prison for in the U.S., some sort of like racketeering where we go together in sort of this uh, uh, consolidation of fishermen and we have them working for us. They are um, always um, working for our the price on the fish, for instance. No, it's a lobbying. It's a lobbying organization. They do that in states, too. That's legal. No, but this is not lobbying. They're like, a, they are our lawyers when we want to talk to the fish factories that buy our fish. So they set the minimums and we're a really strong uh, co-op selling our fish. And it starts from Rörvik and it ends by Russia. Oh. Our, uh, yeah. And you have several of these further south, but they probably already killed their fish. So there's not a lot <laughs> to fight about. Yeah. Uh, but this year we sold and up until this point we've sold fish for eight billion kroners uh from Rörvik to russia so that's like from the mid part of norway all the way to russia see and that's what and that's what really halfway. and that's what really is is strange to me because you guys are such a powerful part of the norwegian economy and yet you have a yep. prime minister who goes up there and worries about obstructing the view of the, the view. coastline you know, yeah. and she and, and that she would not be more educated on the facts of how the people up where you live are what what you guys are concerned about or what it means to be a fisherman and, and 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 what it takes to be a fisherman that she wouldn't have more knowledge about this is quite amazing to me. 
and it's no but she's not alone she's yeah i know not alone, i know and that yeah. is what is really really sad there are people who think that the only things that matter are found within the borders of oslo yep <laughs> you know um, or maybe as far north as Trondheim, but after that, that doesn't really mean too much. No. And and this stuff is near and dear to my heart. You know, I I live here in Drummond, but my heart is up in Finnmark. That is where yeah, that's where my connection is. That's where yeah. So I I, I see the way things are down here, and I see some of the preconceived ideas that people have about what it means to live up north or what it means to be uh, Samisk. Uh, and things like that, mm-hmm. and they have these preconceived notions about it, and it's just they couldn't be further from the truth. And it's almost embarrassing that me, as a foreigner, has more knowledge about those things than they do. You know, a, yeah, but, a born but that is because you because I care. But that is because you, yeah, and also because you're curious. Absolutely, and I think that that is sort of like a sea change with people uh, when I you so. come to the point where where you uh, understand the fact that. Of course, you can have preconceptions about something, yeah. but that doesn't necessarily make it so. Right, And exactly. you need to be, and as, as a foreigner, you're by default more curious because you don't have these preconceptions. Right. Therefore, you ask questions that they wouldn't ever think to ask. You know, that's a, that's a good so point. A yeah, it is. Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very much... Uh, uh, interested in all things Norwegian and especially things up north. Um, that's a big reason why your story sounded so interesting to me because you are a potential beacon of information. Wow. <laughs> no, but you are. But you are. Um, first of all, uh, a lot of people, when they think fisherman, they think man, right? Yeah, they do. Um, And when a lot of people think fishermen, they don't even think fishermen. They just think of the fish that they see in the story. They don't put their thoughts into that curious mode where they wonder, what is it like to be a fisherman? What does it take to be a fisherman? What are the challenges? And also, where does this come from? And also to connect the dots that everything we eat whether uh, it be chickpeas or avocados or lamb or fish, everything that we eat and put into our mouth comes with a cost yes. for something and someone. And uh, of course, there follows this sort of detachment from whatever you're cooking when you just meet whatever you're cooking in some sort of like saran wrap nice and like a neon lighted yeah. supermarket yeah. It, i'm interested it, it in the really backstory. Hard. i'm interested in how yeah that so got here yeah. it's hard to make the jump from okay so it it came into this saran wrap i hear there is plastic in the ocean but i'm pretty sure it wasn't <laughs> fished out like this yeah, yeah. Um, but um it is very far from the consumer and uh one part of me is really excited that people are thinking more about where does my food come from. And I see that especially when I go down south and visit friends in and around our capital. Um, Where Western societies more or less have moved away from having religion be our like moral compass where we 
put ourselves up or down in the hierarchy of things with morality because we are a Christian or we're a good Muslim or uh-huh. whatever. Uh, in secular society, I would say that that has now been uh, changed with what you eat and where it comes from. And there you have a lot of moral superiority with what is okay to eat and not. And what is sad, even though they mean well, is that a lot of the people who are really intent on saying, this is, oh, you shouldn't buy that, you shouldn't eat this, and that is bad for you, and also that is bad for the economy, or that is bad for this, um, where they're really high and mighty, they don't necessarily understand where things come from. So they have these like pre, I I don't remember, blue eight, sort of boxes the Norwegian equivalent and where like this chickpea died all on its own by its (laughs) own volition it was tired of life (laughs) Um, I I feel I feel a lot of opposition towards that because I know what I do and I know what it takes with like engine repair and with knowing the weather and knowing the fishing and also cooperating with other people under re- really strenuous um, circumstances. And I know that we catch some fishermen are terrible at their job, like everyone else, but we try our absolute 100% best to give you good sustenance and um how can a fisherman be terrible ethical and fair how can a fisherman be terrible at their job what does it what does that what does a bad fisherman look like what do they do that's terrible a bad fisherman is in a way where he doesn't necessarily if he has a crew he doesn't necessarily uh consider them or that they're humans uh where it's make a buck no matter what sort of weather it is, you're not taking safety into account. You could also be really bad at listening around because you need to know where the fish is. It's yeah. not like if if it was easy to be a fisherman, any idiot could do it. You could just mm. go and throw your nets out and you could yeah. catch fish. But you need to find the fish. And also when you get the fish, you need to treat it properly because you need to have respect for life because you're actually taking life sure and then also you need to have respect for the customer because you need to to give the best kind of product you can and you could do that by uh, or not do that by leaving your nets out or your line out for far too long that you have far too much fish and also the fish has died Mm -hmm. and it's not possible to bleed it and when it's not uh, Bled right, you have bacterial growth in the fish that makes it I can tell, yeah. much faster. I can tell the yeah. people who so are you listening. Can be a bad fish. I can tell people who are listening who aren't that familiar with this. Uh, bleeding the fish is so important. Um, I'm talking like even if the difference between bleeding it right away and bleeding it maybe just an hour or two later, you will notice it in the taste of the fish. Uh, I do. Yep. <clears throat> um, so yeah, so little things like that have to be taken into consideration. Also, they're big things actually that have to be taken into consideration. Yeah. Um, when you, um, you you have your own boat, correct? Yeah, but that is not my main source of income. Uh, my main source of income is it from a bigger boat where I'm uh, part of the crew. 
And I'm learning how to become a skipper on those big boats. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm taking classes and I'm educating myself. Now, when you say big boats, trying. when you say big boats, how big are we talking? This is one of the coastal boats. This is one of, not one of the trawlers that goes far to, out to sea and then block freezes everything yeah. and throw, how big? sends it to China. This this is 23 meters, and okay. I think that equates to about 72 70, feet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, the Norwegian feet, yeah. foot is different yeah, from the American. Yeah. American feet about 70, uh, but roughly. It, but the, so, oh, so, yeah, the, so that's, yeah. that's, that's the boat that you're working on but the boat um, that, um, crew, yeah yeah but the boat that you own how big is that one uh that's eight meters and that's about okay. 26 27 norwegian feet so so what um, kind of classes are you taking and where are you taking these classes uh my first class was sort of where you learn a variety of things with the, like the international rules for pollutions of the sea where you learn the norwegian law you know learn the rules for how you're supposed to act at sea you learn about the different navigational instruments mm -hmm. and like a variety of things everything you might need to know mm -hmm. so i took that class thankfully um corona has been bad in so many ways but uh with a busy schedule i was very happy that i could do it online yeah and we had these uh sort of meetings where we had a week together solving puzzles and also okay. looking at like the how you calculate the stability of the boats okay. and all those things yeah. so i did that and now i need to do a radio class and a bigger security class where i need to learn how to like sew up my crew members if they get okay like a um, medical so medical class yeah yeah, I'm medical. So are these so things then. things that you have to learn to be a skipper or can you just have your own boat and do the best you can without that without those classes? Uh, I don't need those classes for my boat, no. uh, but for a bigger boat. For the bigger where, ones, okay. Um, yeah, okay. I need that. So I'm, I think once I'm done with this, I'm allowed to drive and manage a boat that is about 500 gross tons. So wow. that's quite big. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 So, so and then. No, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. You get really stressed out once you're trying for the first time to um, go up to the dock and dock your boat when it's that <laughs> big. It sounded like I had Tourette's the first time because I came in at the wrong angle and I go like, shit, 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 shit. And, um, and thankfully my skipper was there going like, okay, breathe breathe so it was part docking the boat and i've never had children but i imagine that's what a lama's class is <laughs> no i can yeah. imagine that's a big piece of equipment that is not an easy thing to have control of and bad things can happen and They've... also so so many witnesses i oh, mean come oh, on wow. yeah yeah oh and they are all men and they're probably going to be like Tattletale women. Once do you feel like you I have to? Them. Do you feel like you have to be extra good to get? I don't know respect from the men with whom you work, or do you, do you feel like you have to be on your toes and make sure that you do things right because they're looking for those mistakes because you're a woman? Oh uh, well. <laughs> 
thankfully, that is not a static thing at all. Um, there are some times where, where I thought that, oh, now I really have to yeah. step up my game and now I have to excel and I have to be like extra super good. And then it has turned out that it's more like a less affair, whatever happens, yeah. attitude about it. Uh, and there are other times where I thought I'm just part of the crew and it really doesn't matter uh, where I really got told off. And I don't know if that was because I did a bad job or if it's because I'm a woman and then I sometimes yeah. try too hard. Uh, it's really hard to say, uh, but I feel now that at least the boats where I've worked, I've felt that I've been accepted on my own terms um, for whatever capacity I have for working and learning new things and also being there in emergencies because we have those. We have a bunch of those. I wanted to ask we, you about that. What's some of the exciting yeah. things or scary things that have happened out on the, on the ocean? Um, I think what scared me the most and uh, I found that the more I know the more scary I think things are. <laughs> yeah. Because in the beginning, it was just like, oh, oh, he thinks it's safe. So let's just do that then. I don't know anything about this. I was, yeah. the first time I went out with the real boat and was working with them, I was wondering how do they get from the ladder down to the boat? Because we have quite a big difference between low tide and high tide. Sure, sure. Uh, so sometimes you can't even see the boat under the dock because the tide is so low and i was yeah. looking at the ladder going like okay i can go down the ladder but how do i get from like the the, the side of the boat to the bottom of the boat yeah. there's there are no stairs yeah and then i took my suspenders and i walked and i looked as the other fishermen climbed down and i saw what they did and that has been my modus operandi ever since where it's like monkey see monkey do yeah and what so what did they do yeah uh, they just stepped on other things that you wouldn't necessarily think <laughs> that you could step on to They're get improvised. They so, improvised. Yeah. Yeah. And then I started to do the same. So it's been um, a learning experience ever since sure. I begun. And sure. you sort you sort of touched on the subject of being a woman and how does how does that work? And when I started fishing and I've been a woman all my life, uh, a lot of media was really interested in this oh this is so exotic a woman fisherman oh how does that work and i remember i used to get really ticked off with the question why it's just like why why do you ask me about that why, why did that to begin you? with that i thought to begin with that it had something to do with feminism and that i thought that i could do that job equally as well as a man but then some years passed and I got safer and safer in my job, knowing more, learning more. Uh, but I found when I thought back on it, it was that when they kept asking me these questions, it was like a constant reminder that I didn't belong. And it was hard to answer questions saying that I belong when, when there was sort of like a, implicit in the question that i didn't well but how and about i didn't necessarily feel that i did because i was new and i was learning 
Well, but how about this? Because, you know, I'm, I'm talking with you because I think it's very cool what you're doing, and, and I feel that you very much belong. And I want to try and put it out there that this thing that you're doing as a woman shouldn't be all that unusual. No. Right? Could, no, but, could that yeah, have been but, could but, that have been the angle that these media people were taking? Not necessarily, because okay. I remember one time there was this woman on the dock and she sounded she like she was about to piss her pants because she saw a woman. <laughs> and I, I felt like I was in a zoo when she was like, oh, woman, oh, it's fantastic. Oh, let me take your picture. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, have they been kind to you? And mm. she talked to me like I was a fucking idiot. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was more sort of that perspective. And maybe I also seeing as I didn't necessarily feel that I belong myself. And now. Ah, interesting. Um, interesting. But now uh, yeah. it has been part of my life now for so yeah. long. And I've also tried different boats, fish different oceans on all sides of the planet and and not all sides, but both. Um, and and I've learned a lot more. Uh, I was in, uh, and I wasn't allowed to in any way, uh, but I was in uh, Bristol Bay by Naknek, Alaska, in some I heard place about called that. Gra- I heard about that, and that you were not allowed, Point. and that you were not allowed to be there. Someone told me that. Yeah. No. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't, and I bought this really fancy ass camera so that if they came to check up on us, I would say like. I am here photographing because I think that my great grandfather was here. <laughs> now, there was a lot. Now, yeah. the reason that you weren't allowed to be there was it because of your your work status? You didn't have a work visa, a green card. Yeah, that's what. No, yeah. I didn't have a green card, and also I didn't have a fishing license. Right. And to right. get a fishing license, understandably, you have to be a American citizen. So, how did you get out? How did you? How did this happen? It's very interesting. Uh, a friend of mine, um, he has been in Norway a bunch because he's a photographer and he also owns, I think, three fishing licenses there. And I got to knew, know him through uh, another friend and we were talking about fishing in Norway, which he's interested in and we were talking about the fishing in alaska and then he says like hey you should just come along and come fish with me i really like that and then we tried to look into doing it legally but we figured that that couldn't work at all and i would probably be a pensioner before that happened so we just risked it and he bought a ticket for me and a couple of days before i was leaving I was trying to find my ticket and I couldn't. Ah. And then it turned out that he had bought a ticket for himself. So there was a lot of ruffle to to have it changed into my name. But I traveled as Mr. Luna. We couldn't (laughs) change that. So traveled there as a man. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) So um, So I was fishing there for a month in in the Pacific salmon run. That's quite a ways yeah. from Norway. Where else have you been around the world to fish? Oh, no, it's it's just there. So okay, it's just yeah. the other side of the other world. Other side of the world, yeah. There yeah. you go. There you go. No, so getting back to your experiences out on uh, a, a boat, uh, what are some of the challenging situations that you've been in, dangerous situations that you've had to handle? Uh, once we were hit with... It's mostly weather related, I guess. 
Um, and it gets rough. Even out though there. my yeah, even <laughs> though my my um, group of colleagues they're not necessarily the first to believe in climate change, they will admit that weather has gotten worse. Even though it's it's totally unrelated. So it's just totally unrelated. It's worse. just getting worse. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. getting worse. Um, I remember one time a couple of years ago, we were out fishing and the weather was supposed to turn bad later that day. And I'd asked my skipper, that was on the previous boat I worked, if we could just leave an hour earlier in the morning so that we were sure that we were on land and docked and everything before the weather hit. Yeah. And this was one of those polar low pressures, which is, is they're really hard to predict yeah. when they're going to hit and how hard and but he was like no and he hates getting up in the morning so of course he said no uh usually we're done by that time but we weren't because of course when you're planning for something else um fishing always will tell you that you should have no other plan than me i yes. am king yeah. and um and then as we were fishing, the storm hit and the storm turned into a hurricane and we were setting the nets and this boat was smaller. This was about 12, 13 meters. Oh, wow. So we were out in a hurricane and we wanted to go to land, but seeing as we are on an archipelago, we have a lot of rocks and scaries that takes the weather, like shields us from the weather. but. Yeah. You have to go in between those when the weather is terrible. Yeah. And then we had uh, an aluminum board on deck go loose. So all of a sudden we had two ton of fish going back and forth oh, like this wow. <laughs> as the weather was terrible. And you, you could only, you could hardly hear the engine because of the roar of the ocean. Yeah. And I, I said to him that we need to lock this somehow because the fish was jumping out of the vats Okay. And then filling the deck of the boat. So the oh. deck of the boat also was filling with water. Um, and then you get less and less stable. And in that sort of situation, you want to be as stable as possible. Sure. And I have a tremor on my hands. I've had that since I was a child. It's not Parkinson's or anything like that. And if I get worked up, it gets worse. Okay. But I found one of those... Um, um, we tried to to tie it together, but then you have this like, what's it called? <laughs> Where you take a thing in there and then you tighten it. What's oh, yeah, it like called a, in English? Like I, a, I forget. A, um, a ratchet. Yeah. Yeah, it was a ratchet thing. Um, and I found one of those and I had to climb in those vats going like back and forth and you still heard the roar of the ocean. And I was trying to get that little piece into the ratchet mm -hmm. and Oh, and then the that came and blew it out of my hand, and then I had to run in front of them when the waves were going the other oh. way to catch it again, and then put it back in. And I think I had to try three times or something. And I was soaking with sweat from uh, being uh, working really hard with that yeah. ratchet, and also yeah. climbing in the fish vats, and, and not also being, being nervous. Crushed. Also, probably being nervous, you're gonna have that nervous. And also, uh, you have sweat. those, cas yeah, cascades of sweat. And mm. then I go into the wheelhouse and I look ahead, and we're approaching 
where it gets shallower and where it gets tighter and where we need to pass through to get home. And I also know that if you go out or if a wave catches you in the wrong way or manner there, you will um, be sucked under. The whole boat will get sucked under and crushed. And then I tried to look ahead and my skipper was completely quiet and he doesn't get seasick either, but I could see that his face was really pale and it yeah. was glistening with sweat. Yeah. And it was just the roar of the ocean and our breath. And I, I just couldn't watch. I just, I'm going to watch uh, and see if whatever I did with the ratchet is okay. Yeah. And yeah. But after that, I really struggled. I was very, very angry for a long, long time. And it took angry. a while for me to, yeah. When you get really scared, you get angry. Okay. Or I get angry. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So I was angry yeah. for, angry at what for a lot of days. Angry at yourself just, for not handling just, the fear the way you wanted to? or No, 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 no. I was just angry at little things. I okay. could, like. I see. If, yeah, it, it was just little things, but it was that I wasn't dealing with my fear that made me angry. I and see. then when I started uh, just for myself and when we were out fishing after that in way better weather, it could feel like my ribs were closing together and that okay. I couldn't breathe. Yeah. And I was afraid that. We're talking about PTSD. This is PTSD you're describing. Is it? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. But I found a way to deal with it because I'm, I made up my own scale of fear. Yeah. And it wasn't like, it wasn't one to 10. It was one to 16. 16. And when then, yeah. <laughs> and when I was scared, I would tell myself, okay, what kind of scared are you? Are you seven? Is it 15? Is it five? And then once I, it was quite simple once I put a number on it and just accepted I am now 14 scared okay. it was easier to work through it okay yeah and well and identifying then, identifying and interpreting your fear goes a long way towards being able to live with it or control it absolutely what what have you been afraid of um well I'm a former police officer from uh, the suburbs of Chicago so I've been in some scary situations there um, yeah. absolutely. You know, when you're dealing with, um, you know, criminals, drug dealers, people who've killed, uh, you know, things like that, that's some scary stuff. Uh, car chases, you know, just like what you see on TV and stuff. Uh, so you've um, done those. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was a, I was a narcotics and gang detective, uh, playing, wow. cl playing clothes. Um, so I was in it. <laughs> I was in, uh, I was in it. Yeah. My favorite TV show ever is The Wire. You know what? That is probably the best series I've ever seen. Yeah. I think I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, quite, uh, quite the series. I mean, it was, uh, it was a good, it so was, was a it good close picture. To depicting? I was going to say it's a good picture of what really goes on in the streets of most big cities. Yeah. Yeah. And also the, the emptiness in the system and the will to pursue things is dictated not necessarily by the good of the people, but the good of actors further up in the system. Exactly. Exactly. Unfortunately, yeah. 
unfortunately. Yeah. And it's not like that everywhere, but in a lot of the big cities it is. That was quite a realistic yeah. picture of what goes on. Um, but were you on your own when you were doing well, these things, or did you have a partner? So, sometimes, sometimes I was on my own, but for the most part I had a partner. Yeah. Yeah. But I was, but it, does, it was different. I never, I never, I wasn't afraid during these things. Uh, no. You know, I was younger. I, it was exciting. So adrenaline took over. But afterwards, afterwards, when yeah. I thought through what I had just done or what I had just seen, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm also United States. Or it was I'm also United States. Like I'm also a United States Marine, so I have my discipline from that. Mm -hmm. So so that when there's a there was a situation that would happen as a police officer, I would just go into training modus. Okay, how have I how have I been taught to handle this situation? So there was no time for fear. There was no time for fear then, but afterwards when thinking through what had happened, you know, that internal de yeah. debrief, then the fear mm -hmm. would hit. That's when the fear hit. Yeah. Did you ever get angry? As a cop? No, like after when you were, no. uh, it could be Afterwards? like no. the recycling was done wrong and then you would just lose your shit. Or, no, no, that um, never happened. No? Uh, I would, uh, it was always quite an, uh, a cerebral and analytical process for me, that debrief thing yeah. after things like that happened. And yeah. I would sometimes regret the way I handled it or, or you know, in, in the evaluation process, I could think, well, I should have done it this way instead. But there's never any, yeah. I, I, I was never uh, the, the, the one to, to beat myself up for a decision I made. Uh, if the decision was wrong, okay, now it's time to analyze that and fix it so it doesn't happen again. And there's a certain amount of satisfaction that comes from that, even if I made a wrong decision. There's some satisfaction in recognizing that it was wrong and then doing something to fix it so it doesn't happen again. That is the bravest, isn't it? Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> That's my... Uh, yeah, but if you're, if you're willing to go into that matter and, and think it through and also uh, not be infallible and then right. see yeah. some of the error sure sure well you know that that's is... a thread but that's a thread that's gone through my life from the time i was a kid you know learning from my mother and my grandmother and then into the u.s marines the discipline of everything and then being a cop and then coming to norway and having to adjust and of course reevaluate things as i went along um mm -hmm. it's it's uh it's just a thread that's been through my life that whole evaluation thing I'm a thinker. <laughs> but when you, yeah, I can tell. But when you were going through these things and looking back and evaluating, uh, did you sometimes do it together with coworkers, or Never. was it more like a uh, no? That no. whole um, and and I was very specific in saying it was an internal debriefing that I went yeah. through. Because back in those days, uh, at least where I worked, <clears throat> that the, the, the thing of having a professional debrief, maybe from a psychologist or something like that, it just didn't exist. It just wasn't an no. opportunity that was presented to me at that time. Uh, and of course, now, I, I, now, now I see how ridiculous that was. There's, that should have been offered, um, but it wasn't. Yeah. So it was an internal debrief. But... Um Wow, it, that sounds like it's like fishing because we're uh, they want to be so tough, 
right? They don't want to talk about being scared, although I know that a lot of them are scared. Yeah. Um, And when I finally figured out that it was scary, Mm. I started talking about it. And for me, it got easier the more people I told. And also I could tell that the more confident I felt with that it was okay to be scared, the more the people I talked to opened up and also acknowledged their own fear. Yeah, the floodgates are open, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I remember meeting some fishermen in the store. I was trying to pick out vegetables and it was just a couple of days after, or maybe three days after it happened. And they asked me this really ridiculous question while they're, they were also trying to be like, yeah, that was bad seamanship and, it shouldn't have done like this or you should and then they sort of laughingly said so were you scared and then i just blew up in their face and said of course i was scared if not i was a complete idiot yeah um yeah <laughs> it's yeah. like if i didn't yeah. understand that this was dangerous i would be a fucking <laughs> fool see, i should I think, have no part see i think a lot of people especially men and it is really such a coincidence that we're talking about this because i was talking about this yeah. with a journalist today uh, about how a lot of people, and especially men, are so unwilling to admit that they are sad, or or admit yeah. that they've done something wrong, or admit that they're that they're scared. Um, yeah. And I think that's too heavy of a burden to carry in a, in a, in, a in, in a healthy in a healthy way. It's not healthy to carry that burden. You've got to let that burden go by talking about it, by admitting it, by addressing it, and then changing. Um, and the change yeah. is very unlikely to happen if you're not even willing to talk about it. So to, yeah. when, you, when you have these guys who try to be so tough and, and act like they never get emotional, nothing upsets them, they're never scared, um, that, that man doesn't exist. <laughs> that man does not no. exist. If you're walking around trying to be that guy, you're lying. Or trying to be that woman, you're lying to yourself, and you're lying to everyone who cares about you. So why why do that? You know, I I put it I put it out there. Um, and, and what this journalist was talking with me about is because I put it out there that I lost my son to a heroin overdose in 2019, wow. and I don't think that that is strange to put out there and to talk about. I mean, it's, it's the reason why I started this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a strange thing to do. I think it's a beneficial thing to do. Selfishly or egoistically, I can say it's, it helps me. Uh, yeah. But then the giving part of me says, well, maybe it will also help others. You know, exactly. by putting my story out there and, 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 uh, and, and not trying to hide it. So, yeah, so these, these guys out there in, in the rust or wherever they are, these fishermen who are trying to act like yeah. they're not afraid. Or, I, or policemen or policemen, in the U.S. Yeah, or policemen in the U.S. or here in Norway even. Uh, mm-hmm. if, you, if, you, if you truly are not afraid, then you probably have a psychological issue that you need to address. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 yeah. Not, and it's not normal to carry that around and hide it because the people who know you, you know, my friends, if, if I walked around and acted like I was just fine after losing my son to a heroin overdose, mm-hmm. my friends would know that something wasn't right because they know me. They know what I've been yeah. through and they would see 
I, I mean, it, to me, it's quite visible when someone is trying to hide their feelings. It's visible. People see it. And I wouldn't want to have the burden of trying to hide that from people. And it's a futile effort. You can't hide that. But uh, I remember once I heard this quote by Robert De Niro uh, where he talked about acting. Yeah. And he said that uh, when you're acting, you shouldn't be like too uh, airy and uh, overdoing it with the motion. That wasn't acting. If you were trying to be an actual human, you should try your very best to hide emotion because that is what we do. That's what people do. Yeah. 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 And, and I think then, it, then I th they also have the, the, the tendency to shine through either way what we're trying to do. But well, you, it's, it's, it's just when such, you're trying to act like a yeah. Well, yeah, no, it, I you mean, it's, it's, it's just such a it's, it's an effort that that demands so much energy. I don't understand why people engage in the effort to hide uh, uh, things like that. Um, you could put your energy towards healing but yourself. It, <laughs> You could put your energy yeah, towards but, healing but yourself. Yeah, but that also goes... Yeah? Go ahead. That goes back to having the words to say them. Uh, because you can feel a lot of things, but it's really hard to identify them if you don't have the words. That's true. That's true. And when you, when you don't have words and when these are not ways or, or um, motions and currents inside of yourself that you're used to describing... And when you just when you don't have adjectives or adverbs or have tried to think in sort of more like an abstract way, it is really hard to describe what emotion is. But is so it, you can have them all you want, but it's really hard to tell to say what you're feeling if you don't uh, have the vocabulary to translate it into. I'm I'm a power lifter, so I put everything in the context of powerlifting, and I try to put that and apply it to life. So I will say that yeah. that is a training issue. If you're not trained in expressing yourself, you know, if you don't have the words, that means you're not trained in expressing yourself truly about how you feel. And that starts where? That starts from your childhood. So if you were a child who was raised in a home where people didn't communicate their true feelings, then yeah, you don't have the training in that. But the good thing about training is that you can start training anytime. Exactly. <laughs> you can and start training you, anytime. So it takes a certain amount of cognitive ability to first recognize that you need to train yourself to be a person who expresses themselves. So you need that cognitive side, but then you also need a little bit of humility because to admit that you need training, that is to admit that you are deficient in something. So you have to have yep. humble, you have to be humble and and have humility to do that. But if you have those two things, you can train yourself up to be a person who expresses themselves. I'll say that to any man. I'll say that to any man who claims that he doesn't have the words. You have the words. You yeah, just but, have to train yeah. yourself to use them. Or you could read a book and learn new words. You could uh, find find words from other people who have tried to express themselves. And maybe Amen. that is and what that's is, why I put my story out there, because it may yeah, exactly. be able to help somebody. Yeah, good. I like you. <laughs> I like you too. <laughs> we, so, yeah. It seems like we think alike on these things, like we have some things in common. Um, I knew it was going to be like this. I, knew, I just knew it. When uh, when uh, Torshvara, your your uncle, uh, told me about you, I'm yeah. like, 
I, I, I need to speak to her and I need to speak to her now. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I think it, I think it was like three minutes and he came back with a message with your phone number and said, she's waiting for your call. So I'm like, this, this yeah. was meant to be, I was meant to connect with you. Absolutely. And then he, uh, he was really interested to hear, did you say yes? When are you doing it? And I, I said, yeah, on Thursday. So, uh, what, what is he going to ask you? And I go like, I don't know. You know what you tell him? Stuff. You tell him, you tell him, watch the episode. Torshwara, watch the episode. <laughs> yeah. All questions will be yeah, answered. Yeah, and he's, go he's gonna, he's gonna. Good. And I said that I, I feel that, uh, it is going to be quite all right because we had a little chat about the particulars of everything yeah. and I feel safe. So good. you can just good. ask whatever. So just a conversation. Yeah. Thanks and he, to and, my uncle. And he's such a good guy. Um, you know, I've, I've just recently gotten back in touch with him. He's one of the first people that I met and became friends with when I came here to Norway and I started working, uh, as a mm -hmm. teacher and a project leader at the school where he was a teacher. So I got oh. to know him. Yeah. So I got to know him there way back in 2002 when I first, when I first came here and um but then when we moved up north that was in what 2006 i lost all contact with him and then we came back south here to drummond in 2014 but it was only maybe about a year and a half ago that i got in touch with him again through facebook and yeah um, but he yeah He's had a lot of life happen. He sure like has. With Absolutely. With his wives and kids divorce and whatever. And yeah, yeah, and all that stuff. And <laughs> no, but, but I'm I'm so glad that I got back in touch with him. He was also a good um a good friend and good supporter with uh within music, you know, him playing the bass mm -hmm. and I'm a vocalist and songwriter and all that stuff. So we used to work a little what bit. What kind together. of music do you play? I play good music. I play good, good music. <laughs> No, I. Um, so that's a genre I should look up. Look on up Spotify. good music. Yeah, look good music good on music. Spotify. No, my music. I can and you're send you. Be a sole contributor. <laughs> I can. I can send you. A, I can send you a link when we're finished here. But my music. Um, if we talk about my music, uh, so far I've only put out four singles. I have a whole album project that I haven't released yet, but I've put out four singles. Yeah. Um, simple acoustic songs. Um, it's like a. These songs that I've put out, it's like a mix of um, like 70s singer-songwriter folk music with a touch of jazz, touch of soul, touch of R&B. If you melt all that together, you've got the four singles that I've put out so far. And then uh, when For the, the people who are listening on podcast and not watching the video thing, I will just have to note that once you start talking about your music, your shoulders start to move as ah, if you're grooving did as they, you're talking did they? about okay. it. Yeah, okay. they did. <laughs> okay. So it has soul and R&B and jazz, and then continue. <laughs> and but, but when the album comes out, it's going to be more of a full um, ensemble sound, you know, with more bass and, and, and guitars and keyboards and all that stuff, a little bit more of a rock slash funk element. So that's what's coming. Oh. But then the songs that I've written, I've written... For other artists, I've written rock, I've written metal, I've written country. I wrote a whole country album for a friend of mine. Oh. Um, uh, so I've written all kinds of different kinds. I've, I've written for and with uh, Jonas Fjeld also, oh, which nice. I'm extremely proud of. So, yeah. So I, I kind of dip my toe in all different kinds of music genres. But my thing is kind of a melting pot of rock and funk and soul and R&B. Makes, kind of, it makes me move my joy. shoulders a little bit, yeah. Yeah, it does. 
No, I was trying to be the proper host before that and sit, you know, sit up straight and be still and don't distract. But when you get me talking about myself and music and stuff, I got I to gotta start moving yeah. a little bit. Yeah, that's <laughs> so nice to see. It seems that the music coming is coming out just in movement. Well, I, lo I love music. I'm, I'm in a bit of a frustrating situation right now because part of the reason why I've been sitting so still is because I'm rather newly operated. I had a neck, you can see the scar here, I had a neck operation um, mm -hmm. a few months ago. And then before that, I had a real serious shoulder operation. As you can see, I'm not, so really, not really moving my left arm very much, so I'm kind of messed up. And that kind of got in the yeah. way. It's been in the way for the last five or six years of my music uh, production because um. with a bad shoulder it's so hard to play guitar or bass or keyboards and stuff so that's why I just kind of put out these four singles easy to perform it's just acoustic mm -hmm. guitar I can do that you know so that's yeah. this shoulder operation and now the neck operation has really gotten in the way of stuff terrible Terrible so situation. when do you think that you will be uh, fully healed back on full <laughs> Probably, capacity well the, the way it's looking now, uh, I will never have full use of my arm. Uh, no. Again, it's that it's gone. So the question will be, can I get to a point where I'm, if not pain free, significantly less pain than what I have now? Because it's it's crippling pain. I'm in so much pain from this shoulder. Um, still. Still. Absolutely. Um, wow. I've had what's eight eight shoulder operations since since 2015. See, um, yeah. mixing my Norwegian here. <laughs> no, so uh, yeah, so I've had eight shoulder operations since 2015, and I'm just in constant pain. It's terrible. It's it's. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it, and it gets in the way of things that I want to do. Um, you know, my powerlifting, my powerlifting career, my powerlifting careers. I've had to put that on hold since uh, mm -hmm. 2019. So everything is wow. kind of on hold. It's, it's it's just about the same time as you lost your son. You lost something else that was important. Yeah, to you. yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm familiar with loss, <laughs> and I chuckle as I say it, but it is it's pretty sad. I, but I am familiar with loss. Yes, I am. Yeah, but that would have been maybe if that was something that you enjoyed doing. That would made it maybe have been one of your outlets for. Well, I will say this: grief, music, and uh, and competing in powerlifting is good therapy. Uh, those two things have carried me through. Um, because I mean, it's been a great ride here in Norway since twenty uh, two thousand and two. It's been great. I've mm -hmm. had a lot of success. I've done a lot of interesting things, and met some beautiful people. Um, yourself included. I'm so glad that I'm talking with you and I can call you a friend going forward. Yeah. Um, so I, it's been a good experience, but at the same time, it's been an experience that's been mixed with a lot of loss, a lot of uh, traumatic change and things like that. And the two things that have gotten me through is powerlifting and music. And now I can't do either effectively. But I have my podcast. I do have my podcast. Yes, you so. do. And I, I, the reason I got quiet was because I started thinking about like musical instruments that you could learn where you wouldn't have to have the use of your shoulder or neck. And um, I haven't thought of any. Well, the thing is, like, <laughs> yet. if you notice, I'm, I'm constantly just leaning on this arm because when that arm hangs, mm -hmm. the weight of my arm hanging on my shoulder, it feels like it's just ripping it out of the socket. 
So I can sit and I can play acoustic guitar. I can do that, but 10 minutes at a time, 15 minutes yeah. maybe, before I have to put it down and rest my arm on, on the edge of my chair or on the desk or something. So it's just not... A, it's so not, it's not... Yeah, it's not it's conducive. It's not likely that you're going to make uh, Bohemian Rhapsody too. No 13-minute songs. But, just just but, 10. <laughs> but I am going to... I I, ha, I was just talking to a, a good mu- uh, music uh, friend of mine uh, yesterday. Uh, I have committed to writing to and I'm I'm saving that album for when I am able to physically go out and perform and support that album. So in the meantime, mm-hmm. I have committed to two more singles uh before October. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. Before October I will Good. write and record and put out two new singles. So I said it for all of you people listening, I've said it. I'm committed to oh. it. When October comes around, start asking me. We will me, hold you accountable. Do it. Hold me accountable. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I don't know how I'm so going to do you that. Make... No, you don't? I don't because, I, again, well, I mean, I'll, I'll have to do it in very short spurts because I, I don't, la- like I said, I don't last very long, 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes, and I have to take a break. But I'll, I'll get it done. Yeah. You were going to say something, though? But, yeah, but, uh, so... It is just the physical that is holding you back, not the general procrastination of oh, creation. Oh God, no! Absolutely, I am in I'm I'm in an incredibly creative period right now, uh, and you can see that mm-hmm. in the podcast episodes that I release. Um, if you saw my journal, where I'm 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 working on a book. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm still writing. I'm still writing songs. You know. I, I'm not in a situation where I can sit in the studio and be productive, but I can write and I have my dictaphone on my phone so I can hum in the melody and bass lines and things like that. So I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm also a stand-up comic. I can't do that now also because of my shoulder, but I'm still writing material. So I'm incredibly creative right now. And it's, it's, it's in a sense, it's extremely frustrating to be in this creative phase. Um, um, you, you know, people, when people are creative, they want to do something with it. So I'm being creative and I'm writing it and I'm getting it documented, but I can't put it out there. And that's extremely frustrating. But have you always had this sort of confidence with what you're making? <laughs> Nobody said I was confident. <laughs> oh, no, you're just really good at faking it. Okay, that's it. <laughs> no, but where's the faking in? Uh, okay, if, if I write a song. And I put it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that demands a certain amount of confidence to actually take the step to put it out there. Or yeah. is the act of putting it out there the antidote to the extreme social anxiety that an artist yeah. suffers from? Which one is it? Is it a confidence mm-hmm. or is it an antidote to fight against the anxiety? Is it the need to feel some sort of a victory in the midst of all that um, shyness and anxiety? See? So yeah. very often it gets interpreted, oh, this guy must be confident. He's putting his own music out there. Eh, he, he might be confident, but he must not be confident. No. It's not a, it's not a given that, that that is an act of confidence. It, it could also be a medicinal act to hmm. clean That's up. That's very educating. I think I think it is. I think it can be. Again, I put it out there. 
I talk about these things in the hopes yeah. that it might help somebody. I've been asked to write a book and I've been in the procrastinating creating phase. So I've uh, mastered the sourdough like uh, anyone's business. I've uh, a really clean bathroom because you need to have that before you write. Sure. And I've figured out all sorts of ways to avoid doing what I've been asked to do, which I should think that I, I've been asked to not like write a romantic novel. I've been asked to write a book about fishing and fishing policy. Who, uh, who asked you? I a book publisher, a publisher. Girl, yeah. girl you need to do it just write that yeah book. but i'm yeah but i can't clean my bathroom anymore before it turns into some sort of disease so it's uh you know what you should do it's going to happen you know what you should do you should write you should open a blog i don't know if you have a blog do you no okay you should no. start a blog and you should blog about all these things you do to avoid writing your book and, <laughs> and seriously and you know what that'll do yeah It'll be very interesting to read. I bet you you can make it funny as well. It'll yeah. be therapeutic for you. It'll make you get in touch with your own psyche about why you're not taking the steps towards writing your book. And it will do I know what, why. And it will do what? It will also help somebody who is in a similar situation. Again, back to that whole that thread about being yeah. of service to others. So, yeah. and, and it will also warm you up. The process of writing a blog, which may seem kind of inconsequential, it's going to warm you up to a very consequential endeavor, which is writing a novel. Yeah. And also, I'm from a long line of uh, our fam family creed is if you don't try, you don't fail. Uh, therefore, doing the trying is what is really hard for us. <laughs> yeah. We can also have trouble going to the post office uh, to mail stuff. And I don't know if that's connected to our... Um, it is. It's connected. Disengagement. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it probably is. <laughs> yeah, but you I got know my Christmas present for my birthday from my mom because oh she just couldn't make her way to the post office. Oh, gosh. Okay. So that's what yeah. you inherited so then. <laughs> It is, but I'm fighting to, uh, against it. And uh, like I told you, when we uh, were planning to do this, I planned to go out with my boat today. Uh, That's I didn't right, you did end say up that, doing yeah. that. Yeah, uh, but I didn't because I wound up actually, actually writing last night. And okay. I was writing until like two in the morning. And how many, that was how many a lot words? of fun. How many words did you get down? I didn't count the words, okay. but I think I wound up around 10 pages. You should, uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what you should do, but what you, one thing you can do is give yourself a set number of words that you want to write every day or maybe an average for a week, you know, X number of words per session. Uh, if it's only no, a thousand. No, but I'm going to no, trick myself because when I did my bachelor's degree, I had a set number of words that I had to do and it was in history. Uh -huh. So what I would do when I didn't have enough words uh, I would go in and put in all the names of all the people, not just their surname. So I would get more <laughs> words. And if I repeated, uh, and if I did, if I was, for instance, talking about Johann Sebastian Bach, yeah. every time I mentioned it, I wouldn't say Bach. I would say Johann Sebastian Bach. Because just to get more if I words. mentioned him enough, I would get more words. There you go. So I know that's that. Smart. That's a good. That's a good idea. But I will trick yeah. myself. So it no, will but be. I, but that yeah. book, you would, if you were to 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 get that book out there, I know I can guarantee you it would be interesting because 
Um, you know, there's a, there's a certain romantic aspect to being a fisherman. There's something that is appealing, you know, um, uh, you know, deadliest catch. Why is it so popular? Why is that show so popular? It's because there's something romantic about fishing. Uh, um, uh, you know, you see a and painting. And it also makes sense. Well, yeah, you know, and you see a painting, like a, a classic painting of a classic fisherman type. Why does that look so mm-hmm. cool? Why is there something that's so endearing and calming about that? Why do people? Why are people attracted yeah. to that? So if you were to put a book out about your experiences from from A to Z, if you were to do that. But it's, it's, it's way, it's a lot easier to understand, even though you don't understand the specifics of it how does it happen when do you go out in the morning those sorts of things it is one of our primary functions as humans once we settle down and we're in societies uh, you had the catching of food yeah that yeah. was that was the basic and also are, everyone needs food sure you are you are living you, you are in touch literally in touch with, with a primal, primal human. a primal basic instincts that human have and I, yep. that fascinates the living daylights out of me I, I just think it's so cool i you know what yeah i'm coming and, uh, to dust i'm gonna get on a bu- <laughs> yeah you're welcome come on just uh, bring your uh, crazy short wife and all the kids <laughs> my crazy you're short welcome. wife you remember it i love it she's crazy and she's yeah. short yes <laughs> uh Maybe we could stack you. I have just one guest <laughs> bedroom, but we'll figure it out. Um, no worries. But I shouldn't uh, make fun of her too much. I'm not that tall either. I'm only 174 centimeters. That's not tall at all. No, so, no uh, it's not. No, <laughs> no, but uh, but it's but it's back to fishing it and it being some sort of like primal function of yeah. of humanity. Yeah. Um, it. For me, it would be really interesting to read about what does a, a hedge fund manager actually do because it's beyond my comprehension. Yeah. But I don't think the general population has that sort of same romantic um, interest in that sort of way into society we invent these jobs where people trade and money that doesn't exist sort of because it's very hard to understand well, it's not natural that... it's not natural no, it has nothing not. to do with ha- human instinct but what you're doing nope. does and there's the difference there's why your book would be interesting kill is my motto kill <laughs> kill it if it's flopping kill, kill it, it. <laughs> No, you have gotta a bleed face. those fish. Out. I will kill you. Gotta bleed yep. those fish out. Gotta, gotta. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that, I think that if you put that book out, people would really jump all over it. I know I would. Yeah. So I have one customer. Okay. You have That's one. It. One person no, will read that book. Yeah, good. <laughs> I'll continue to get cracking, but then, <laughs> um, yeah, I decided to write, and also I'm trying to repair my uh, previous car to be able to sell it. And I keep repeating to people who ask me, oh, yeah, I love learning. Turns out I don't. I'm trying to learn about how a stereo system in a modern car works because now it doesn't work. Ah, okay. Turns out I don't like learning at all. I hate it. I like things that I manage right away, but learning things, ugh. I like learning what I want Especially, to learn. I don't like learning what I have to learn. I think maybe you said what I think thought. 
Yeah. I'm all in your head. I'm all in your head. Yes, you are. <laughs> What's with these headphones? Are you traveling in my mind? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't tell you there was a mind hmm. connect on this uh, this link I sent you. Yeah. It is really fancy, so I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I you wonder know, where you're going to take me next. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, um, I wonder what is, you know, if somebody were to just pack their bags, uh, take a plane to wherever, and then a ferry out to dust and then approach a yep. skipper, what's the chances of them getting a job on a boat? I mean, you, you did it. Uh, but but is that is that three, normal? Three percent. Three percent. It's not normal. Three percent. Yeah. So what do you think and you had? Three per- No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And I think I'm allowing that three percent to be that it's during the cod fishing season, and that someone that works aboard board their boat has either lost an arm or their mind, and that they need someone to crew um, because then. One man's like death and depravity is another man's like lucky charm where you get the opportunity. Do you see a lot of guys uh, getting think, hurt out there? No, not really. Okay. Um, I have been part of a fishing expedition where we were doing long lining up by the Russian border. So it takes about 10 hours by boat. And uh, he got one of the hooks caught in a, in his finger oh. and we couldn't get it out so we had to go to land to have him go to the hospital okay. to get it out yeah yeah so that's the most dramatic thing i've ever seen and uh yeah so so, so you say it is a v- really dangerous job but yeah, yeah. all in all with all the risk that we're taking and all the weather that we're out in and how slippery things could get both from like oil spills and ice and just being tired yeah. uh, we are very 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 rarely hurt that's good to hear so you say yeah. there's a three percent three percent chance of someone getting uh, a job out yeah. there so what did you have that put you into that three percent there must have been something about you uh, location so I was more like uh, some sort of the infection that you get that you can't get rid of because I was always here because I yeah. lived here yeah. and I was just nagging, 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 nagging. And this was also at a point where we had more quotas that were here. So yeah. we had more boats. Um, and now a lot of those quotas have been sold away from here. So all the boats that are here are completely manned and completely crewed. And as you get one of these positions, you're not very likely to let it go. Yeah. And that's why it's really hard. Also really hard for someone new that people don't know to come in and be able to take part in it. I see. And the thing is that when you're um, a skipper on a boat and let's say you have one person working for you, uh, of course you would like someone who's young and able but you would also like someone who knows everything, who knows what to do with the ropes, who knows what to yeah, do with the anchor. I would imagine they don't have much time what, to teach them yeah. all this stuff, so they've got to know it already. No. Yeah. So it's, it's way less strenuous for you as a person who's yeah. responsible for someone else 
to hire someone who actually knows what they're doing. But that also has a, a, a flip side, like everything else, things have positives and negatives. And the flip side of that is that um, you're not, you're, the pool of people that you're going to choose from is becoming smaller and smaller. Because if we all continue to use the same people who knows what is happening, you're not going to have a lot of recruitment. And then you're not going to be able to pass down that knowledge that you cannot necessarily find in a book where I see. you need to experience how the currents change, yeah. for instance, in one place, two hours before the tide changes. And then you will have the fish hit like an hour and a half later than that. But other places you have the current change an hour or like all these things that we know and learn you need to know and learn from someone right. and then you could quite possibly end up with having a gap where you've just used the knowledgeable people and then you mm. haven't taught new ones. Yeah. 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 Huh. Interesting. So yeah, I guess so they kind of have to be slim, slim chance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm not coming to this then to be a fisherman. <laughs> you can come visit. I'll come visit. I'll come visit. So, yeah. so how long until you have your own boat up and running? You're the skipper. You have your quota. You're on the big boat, and you're and you're doing your thing. Because you said you said you're well, you're not. You're, you're, most of your time is spent in a crew. I guess I guess a better question is how much of your time is spent on your own boat, the way it is now. Uh, the way it is now, I have the luxury of having half the year off. Uh, I go, or or this year, I'm going to have more time off than I'm actually working. Um, I've fished for, I think it's 10 and a half weeks this year, yeah. uh, this far. And then I'm going to do 10 more weeks this year on the boat where I'm crewing. And price, prices are lower this year because the way we're paid is that we're paid like a percentage of the total catch of the quota. And this is based on uh, tariffs and rules that right. our union has been, has agreed uh, with um, the boat owner part of our union. Because my union is weird because it's both crew-based and owner-based. That is strange. But my, pers yeah, it is. And that's why it's maybe not, not as effective as <laughs> yeah. of now, but that's another podcast for the really interested <laughs> crowd. But, uh, but my percentage when I worked on the last boat, the smaller one, it was just me and the skipper. So the boat took half of the catch and then he took 25% and I took 25%. Okay. Oh. So... Like for instance, I remember I, I used to have this blackboard thing in my uh, in my kitchen, yeah. and every day when I got home, I would draw up how much money I'd made that day, and I did that throughout the cod oh, season. Nice. And I remember like, wow, today I've earned thirty six thousand Norwegian kroners <laughs> in a day. In a That's day, amazing. Yeah. 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 So but, ten, you, uh, you had ten ten weeks on your own boat, and and it'll be roughly no on on the where I crew. Oh, okay, ten weeks where you crew. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Okay. And now it's open for my own fishing and learning and going okay. to school. Yeah. The school part takes a lot of time, or has taken a lot of time. 
and yeah and i'm also looking into continue did my uncle tell you that i've learned how to build harpsichords no he did say you play guitar and piano and you sing but he didn't say anything about harpsichord (laughs) no but i went to amsterdam a couple years ago and worked with this irish guy that builds harpsichords and learned how to build them wow and his name is thomas power and he's amazing shout out to thomas power he is the best wow and if it wasn't for corona i would for sure use some of my spare time to go there and build some more harpsichords but i have in my shed that's down by the water it's quite a big shed i have my tools and also a half-built harpsichord that i really get want to get cracking with how much how much does it cost to buy a new harpsichord if you want one that's built by him, I remember we sold one of the ones that I'd been helping to build for 24,000 euros. Okay. So that's about more or less the same in dollars, I Roughly, guess. Roughly, yeah. Wow, interesting. Yeah. There's a little side and I wouldn't for sell, you. I, I wouldn't be able to sell any of mine for that much yet, but uh, don't see. sell Don't sell yourself short. You just might. You never know. Oh, but this is one of those builder kits that was released in the 70s, and I know the spruce is wrong in the soundboard. Oh, so okay, okay. Yeah. It's wrong. Listen, yeah. I want to ask so, you, as we as we wind this up, I want to jump over to this um, documentary film that you were mm-hmm. a part of, uh, A Fish Out of Water. It's an Italian documentary film. Uh, can you tell yeah. me, tell me, how did you get involved in that? Uh, people like you, they just ask. Um, and they'd gotten my name from a guy that used to work for the Norwegian Seafood Council, one of those uh, lobby commercial parties of the seafood industry uh, that comes from out of here. He used to work in Italy, and they contacted him, and he told them about me. And... They came here to make a story about stockfish, because that is what we make here, mostly. And stockfish is dried cod. Uh, and the cod is fished and dried between the months of January and March. And stockfish is a way of drying fish and conserving fish. And our biggest market for that is Italy, and they use it in all sorts of weird dishes. They <laughs> yeah. even use it in like tiramisu and whatever, ice cream they can make out of it. <laughs> and um, drying fish has been done in the world and also salting fish has been done to conserve fish. They found dried and salted fish in the pyramids in Egypt yes. when they yeah. started excavating those. Yeah. And uh, seeing as the, the cod is a very seasonal fish. They hit in big amounts. Yeah. Uh, so it's impossible for us to, or has been impossible for us to eat it all at the same time. And it makes no sense for a, a society by the coast to eat everything at once. Right. You want to save yeah. some for later. Sure. So the way of conserving the fish gives it a very particular both taste and smell. And seeing as it's... Uh, the national dish of Italy, for instance, isn't pizza or pasta. <laughs> no. It's a dish made out of stockfish. And it's called um, um, Bacala de Vincentina. That's one of their national dishes. And it's made out of stockfish. 
and they wanted to come and make a, a film about stockfish. Where does it come from? What are the people behind it? And all that. And then they brought with them a Michelin chef that was sort of like the rock star of everything. And uh, he went out with us and just did some fishing. It was at a season, so we, it was in the summer, so we caught mostly cold fish, but it was a lot of fun. And yeah. they got interested in, wow, what is it like to be a woman and be a fisherman? Okay. And then they asked me all sorts of questions, and I turned out to be a rather large part of that documentary. Yeah. And I was invited to the premiere of this, like the Italian. I saw that. I saw film. that on your Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I thought it would be just like, well, a documentary and it's really a narrow topic. It's not going to be a lot of people. But I figured I'm in Amsterdam. It's a short plane ride away and it will be fun. And I can stop by Venice for a day because yeah. I've never been. Yeah. And then I went there and the director people, they put me up in this really nice hotel in this mountain village and they took me all around wow. and um, wow. we were we were having that premiere the next day and they were like, yeah, it's sold out. And I figured a Norwegian cinema theater has like maybe 300 seats. Yeah. So I thought, wow, that's a lot of people. Turned out it was a thousand people. Oh, wow. It was full. Yes. And... and to the day I die, I am going to remember whenever I find that life is hard to deal with. I'm going to remember that one time I just stood up and a thousand people applauded and oh. lost their shit just because I exist. That is pretty cool. That is pretty doggone it cool. It is. Good for you. And then they, yeah, and then they dubbed me into Italian. Uh, I was speaking in English in the documentary, but if you want anyone to watch anything in italy it has to be in italian yeah and then they had tried one woman but they felt that she didn't get the cursing right <laughs> <laughs> okay didn't get the cursing right <laughs> no it sounded wrong so they changed her into uh to another woman and they were so worried will you like her and then when once we were done and we headed to a bar to celebrate and everything, they were like, did you like the voice? And I could assure them that, yes, can I have her number? I would like to have her speak for me more frequently. <laughs> I love it. I have to ask. Yeah, where, so that where, was an experience. How often do you get to speak English? Because your English is better than most Norwegians that I come into contact with. I haven't spoken English now for a year, maybe. Wow. Well, I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. And I was worried that I wouldn't find the right words, and I haven't necessarily utilized my entire vocabulary, but I think I'm understood at yeah, least. You're, I think so, you're yeah. doing great. I think you're doing great. Mm -hmm. Listen, I have two things I'd like for you to do for me before we, we uh, round this uh, episode off. First, I'm going to ask yeah. you, uh, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something, and then I want you to fill in the blank. In one okay. sentence, okay? And yeah, I'm ready. You, you ready? Okay. Lune mm -hmm. Nikolaisen is? Uh, happy. I would say happy. She is happy. She is happy. You look happy. You sound happy. You have much reason yeah. to be happy. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. And the last thing I want to ask you to do is... Can you say something that 
my viewers and listeners can take with them for the next day or two or week or month that they can hold on mm-hmm. to for inspiration or motivation. Can you say anything that would do that for them? Um, I would say not necessarily that. Well, it goes back to that take care of yourself. But when I haven't been able to take care of myself, I've found that saying to be um, provoking even. So yeah. what I would like yeah. to say is stop being so goddamn hard on yourself. It will be okay. It's enough. So, yeah. There you and go. And when you have that attitude, you could do whatever or nothing, and that's fine. That is the truth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sometimes to be normal and do nothing is uh, something that gives more allowances towards yourself, and then you can feel sure. more content. Sure. Mm-hmm. Words of yeah. wisdom, everybody. Words of wisdom from <laughs> Moon and Nicolaisen. You know, and we they, hardly talked about fishing. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? That just means that we're going to have to come back and do this again. Turns out and maybe you should come here. Turns out I should come there. You know, I've I've been fascinated yeah. by rust. You know, um, nothing about the rust that comes on the news is boring. It's always something interesting. So up through the years of me being here, these things that come on the news or it's written in newspapers or something. And, and it just fascinates me. I'm a nature lover. Yeah. Um, and, and all things North are better for me. <laughs> so, so to come up uh, to rest would be a, a, a delight for me. I'm going to have to do that. We I'm could do a podcast in my living room. We could do a so podcast. You, in there. you know what? Cause this microphone isn't heavy. I just stuff all my equipment in a suitcase and off I go to And rest. I could hold your shoulder. You can, and you can hold my shoulder. See, we see this is this can I'm be really done. strong. This can be done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love it. Well, listen, I want to thank you. We made you a for, plan, Stan. <laughs> I want to thank you for doing this. And 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 you're right. We didn't get to talk that much about fishing, but 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 I think that's a testament to the fact that you are so much more than just this person on a fishing boat. You, you you're so interesting. It's fun to talk with you. Um, uh, you know. You're you're you are you are much more uh, than just one podcast episode. So we're gonna have to do this again. <laughs> Thank you. I'm gonna have to come yeah. up to Rust and visit you, and you have to look me up if you ever in this in this part of Norway. Come check me out. But I, I, again, thank yeah, you I so much for doing this, and I call you friend. I ha- I have a friend on Rust now. Yes, you do, and I have a friend in Drammen. There you go. You have a friend in Drammen. Yeah. Luna Nikolaisen, everybody. Bye now.